0: Welcome to the UK Scriptwriters Podcast. Start again. Welcome to the UK Scriptwriters Podcast. It's me, Danny Stack, and me, Tim Clay, and we're very excited because we're joined today by sitcom writer extraordinaire James Carey. Hello. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Yeah, yeah. We've been uh, trying to get you for a while, I think.
1: Well, yeah, uh, it's very exciting. I've been listening for a long time, so. I'm oh,
0: long to time, been
2: here. long
1: time listener, Love. first time visitor. That's right. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Oh, oh, it's great there, yeah. When we meet up with you every now and then you kinda of tell us stuff about our podcast and we're like, God, I can't remember, can't remember.
2: <laughs> We've been doing it too long every five month. years. Yeah. Hey, but listen, first of all, to all the listeners uh listening, <laughs> thanks for your emails and uh, positive vibes and some good ideas that we've had in to, you know, keep the podcast fresh and for what you want. So um more interviews which is why we've got James in today. But people have suggested some good topics, and we've got all those. Keep sending stuff in, but we've got all the ones that you've sent, and we'll use those now and sort of as a checklist to keep, to keep going. Because there's some good ones in there, Danny. Yeah, they?
0: absolutely. Um, so, yeah, contact us at UK at ukscriptwritershotmail.com, and we'll reiterate all that at the end. But uh, focusing on James for the moment. Hello. Uh, James Carey. <laughs> Again. Is a sitcom writer. That's, that's right. what that's your main focus. Now, we that did is, We yeah. did a main uh, big one on script editing for comedy with Andrew LR, Which is brilliant. If you've not
1: heard that, you should go back and listen to it. That, that. that is awesome. Yeah. But,
0: um, your kind of career and experience is a bit different. Yeah. Because you've done the whole writing thing from radio right through to TV.
1: That's right, yeah. In fact, it's almost stage before the radio.
0: <gasps> stage. Okay, so let's take you back. Take me back. Take me oh, back. Oh, so oh. you're fresh out of college or school or whatever. Yeah. And what's happening?
1: Uh,
0: well, I mean, you guys are
1: old enough to know, if I may say, that 20 years ago, people didn't know about being a writer. Yeah. It wasn't really, <laughs> it wasn't really a thing, <laughs> was it? <laughs> ah, what are you talking about? Well, because <laughs> I, I, Shakespeare
2: <laughs> says different. But anyway, but you know. what
1: I mean by that is TV was TV was something that was written by other people. So I wrote sketches at school, comedy sketches. I wrote sketches at university and did Edinburgh shows of okay. comedy shows. It didn't occur to me, even when I left university, that I could be the sort of person that writes comedy for television. Right? Because who who does that? And you so, never you never meet people who do that.
2: So you were doing those kind of sketches, yeah. comedy reviews, Review, that's and all right. that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Footlight style, or whatever.
1: You, I wanted to do footlights, so I applied to Cambridge University not once but twice and failed on both occasions to okay. get in. So, like most people who failed to get into Cambridge, I went to Durham. <laughs> um, so Nothing but, wrong
0: with Durham. No. It's a hotbed right. of
1: comedy. It Very is nice. a hotbed of comedy, and actually, subsequently to me being there, uh, well, pre- my predecessors at Durham would have included the legendary comedian Jeremy Vine, not Tim Vine, his brother, um, but also Arthur Bostrom, who plays the policeman in Allo uh, Allo. But since then, it's turned out quite a few people, like you know, like um, Nick Mohammed was at Durham for a bit, Nish Kumar, oh. Tom Neenan, um quite a few people who are sort of actually yeah. quite cool now. Um, but it wasn't that cool when I was. You it. paved the way for that. So I like to think fantastic. so. Yeah, yeah. They have no idea who I am, but so, I paved the way nonetheless.
2: So you did. A, you, you went to university. You yep. did a degree, but that wasn't in writing. That was no, in philosophy. Or that something. was in
1: theology, in fact. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. So, yeah.
2: so you did. So you did that. You were doing your comedy reviews, yeah. but. Those, those were that was a hobby kind of thing, yeah. and you never sort of saw that as a career. Well, then.
1: I sort of even then I thought maybe I was writing a bit for the newspaper as well, and I was thinking maybe I could be some kind of journalist because those those were the writing jobs in my head that were available. Whereas you know all I'd done growing up um, at home was watching TV and watching comedy on TV. I this is one of, this is one of the reasons I hate dancing um, because whenever there was there wasn't as much stand-up comedy on TV back then. Mm-hmm. The only times you saw it was on like the Royal Variety performance. And the most exciting thing for me about that was, oh, there'll be some comedians. And then they'd announce a dancer. And it's like, oh, no, I've got to wait for another five minutes before the comedy's on. Yeah. So, um, and so that, for the same reason, I, that's why I can't stand horse racing, because they used to show horse racing <laughs> instead of cricket. <laughs> so I have this knee-jerk childhood reaction to horse yeah. racing, which is there should be Test Cricket on and not horse races. This is great. Feeling robbed. This is probably going a bit deeper than <laughs> you're expecting. Mm.
2: Uh, but not that normal
0: for yeah, our podcast, yeah, is it true. really?
1: So, uh, yeah. So what the, the, year are we talking about? We're, we're talking now? about about 96, 97. Yeah, okay. um, and so I did a couple of Edinburgh shows.
0: You say that then, as if you did them by yourself. I'm sure you did. No,
1: well, there was a bunch of us uh, at the university when there was like eight or nine of us kicking around. And then after we left... Uh, a year or two after we left three of us or four of us did a show in edinburgh at the fringe and that is that was very much the engine room of comedy then it, mm. it it's not just the engine room now it seems to be the entire chassis mm. and, yeah, and yeah, the electrics yeah, yeah. um so we well, big did all, kudos as well yeah so we got nominated for the newcomer award uh which helped and, and you got, were performing in those
2: as well? Only, you,
1: I wasn't really... You were the
2: reluctant performer. I was the
1: reluctant performer when I couldn't get the sketches down to only two people. Yeah, I understand. Um, yeah. What were so, you called? Uh, we were called Infinite Number of Monkeys. Oh, I remember that. Um, so we did, uh, yeah, so it was mainly a two-man sketch show, and we did three years' uh, worth over the call. you know. But after the first one, got noticed by, by radio. Um, I tried to get a job in radio and hadn't got that also tried to get jobs with other people and hadn't got them either. So I was pretty much um, on this trajectory, really. So then uh, off the back of that, I managed to get a sitcom on Radio 4 uh, called Think the Unthinkable. Um, that would be about ninety nine, 2000. And also uh, a sketch show as well called Concrete Cow. Uh, so radio then became sort of my main... Area and I was sort of just able to scrape a living writing comedy for the radio.
0: Were you living in London at this? Point? I
1: was living in London, but I'd only just been a student, so living on five grand a year, I could do. Yeah. Um, I sort of, and I, that's the that's the one decision I can remember making and retrospectively thinking, "Wow, how did you have the insight to do that?" Which was, you know, not getting a job. So a number of my uni friends went off and got graduate jobs and started earning. 18, 19, 20 grand a year, which, you know, 20 years ago was was, was all right. Um, It's more money than you've ever seen when you're a student. And I thought, oh, if I do get one of those jobs, I probably won't be able to quit it. So if I just don't do that and just get some temp work and just sort of, you know... um, uh, bits and bobs here and there, a bit of tea, you know, and then I did a couple and were, were
2: you writing, you know, so like where yeah. you were the busy writer, so, so you, yeah, you were was, just like, like a lot of our listeners, yeah. you know, you're doing your temp work, and yeah. then you're bundling home, yeah. writing all sorts of things because yeah. you didn't know quite what you were going to specialise exactly. in, so you yeah. were just giving it a go, just yeah, it made, stuff it was,
1: out. It was all comedy, um, so I've, I've never really done anything that isn't what I would call comedy. Others may disagree that it's comedy. Um, so we, so we, it was just me then, um, yeah, it's mainly radio, and that's where all the opportunities were. And mm. back then, the show was called Weekending, oh, which yeah, was yeah, the yeah. sort of open door policy that's writer right. show. Now that the, the same show exists, and it's called Newsjack, that's, that's right, right. Um, and that works really well for some kinds of writers. And I was, you know, and often the sorts of writers who then go on to write sitcoms. Mm.
2: Um, well, tell us about that but again, because yeah. there'll be listeners, and they'll be thinking, "Well, I, I." I've given it a go. I've written a couple of things for Newsjack. I've yeah. sent them in. I've not really heard. Yeah. Were you in the same boat? Or yeah. was it because they'd come and seen your show in Edinburgh that they were like, kind of like, no, actually, we'll guarantee you to get a few yeah, sketches
1: Yeah, no, on. I mean, it wasn't quite that, because these sort of things were kind of going on at the same time. So I think I moved to London, was trying to write for Weekending, and then a year or two later, I think after Weekending had even finished, um, we then did a... Stage show and that went quite well, and then I was sort of right, but, but so you
2: slow, so, so it's just a little yeah, bit each yeah. thing getting a little yeah. bit it's better. Like, yeah, it's I like think, the yeah. stalagmite
1: slowly yeah. growing yeah. with yeah. Drops, drops. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so you know, uh, but undoubtedly, the radio sitcom was probably the first proper break, as it were. Um, you know, people sort of say, Oh, when, but what was your big break? and you sort of go, Well, which one? You know, yeah, there, there are, lot, oh, there yeah, are yeah, lots yeah. of them, really, and course, um, course. so um. So yeah, I did this show and what I was fortunate at the time um, because one of the things that... Uh, because sitcom has always been the thing I wanted to do most but sketch shows and sketches are kind of the building blocks of sitcom to some mm. extent. And also they suit, especially people like me at the time who were overeducated men in their 20s. Sketches are all about ideas and you just need to have a good idea. I mean, it's like a short yeah. film in a way. You just need to have yeah. set up, here's yeah. the idea, here's the twist, yeah. joke, 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 yeah. punchline. So you sing, Bam, you your done.
2: singular idea yeah. is great for a sketch because yeah. you can just explore fully that idea yeah. in the sketch. Hammer it into the ground. N- and never have to come back to it exactly. ever again. Exactly, yeah.
1: exactly. And that is a really good, and it, it teaches you great, and that's why those guys listening, guys and girls listening who were doing Newsjack and finding it really hard, there is an extent to which is like doing scales. If you want to be good at the piano, you've got to do your scales. If you don't want to do your scales, yeah. you're never going to be that good at the piano. Yeah, good analogy. So, Newsjack and those sorts of sketches. Another one she called the Show What We Wrote or something mm. like that. Mm. Um, and I've been involved in shows like that as a script editor, like uh, recorded for training purposes. Oh yeah, yeah. And that you can see people progressing mm. in front of your very eyes yeah. when they stick at it mm. and they get a little bit of success. <clears throat> they get a little, they get a little sketch on, and that's why it's worth really throwing yourself into it if you can bear to. And it may be you discover, actually, that you're not that as interested in comedy as mm. all that. Mm. Um, and that's fine. You've mm, learned yeah, something. Exactly. So trying something and not enjoying it. I mean, I did some work experience with BBC News at the end of my second year. Again, because I didn't know I wanted to be a writer or that I could be. Mm. And even though I was doing news, even though I was working on the national news doing work experience, I thought, oh, this is boring.
0: Um Where's the gags? Genuinely, genuinely,
1: <laughs> it genuinely was boring. And part of me at the time thought, Well that was a ugh oh, I didn't learn anything there. No, what I did learn was I don't want to do any of that yeah, stuff. Right. And that's great to mm. shut the door on that. Also when I moved to London I did a bit of uh I was a runner ...on a show called The Friday Night Armistice. Oh, oh, yeah. oh yeah. Legendary. Which is Legendary. a fantastic show. And yeah. I, I, I was you say...
0: See, people say this now. Oh, and I did this and I did that. You were a runner. How did you get to be a runner on Friday Night
1: Armistice? Um, I happen to know Sally Phillips.
0: Right. Okay. And
1: she... Comedian actress. Comedian yeah. actress. Um, and so she was sort of... She was very kind to me. And she gave me an, a, the name of someone... Um, who was like a production manager or something and in those days the BBC wasn't quite as um nailed down in terms of the work experience and stuff that they do as they do now but I was able to I think I worked for free for a while and then they sort of felt guilty nothing had Mm. to pay me and again I I think I did fine but I didn't particularly enjoy it and Mm. I wasn't looking at the producer thinking oh wow I wish I had your job yeah. I was looking at the producer and thinking, blimey, if I ever end up being a producer, something's gone horribly wrong. And I used to watch some of the writers turn up, and actually, I talked about this on this um, podcast that I do called Sitcom Geeks, which, um, that's not trying to plug it. But no, we'll get no, to that. No, we'll get to that. But I actually said to Andy Riley and Kevin Cecil, who are two very successful writers who've just won an Emmy for Veep. Legend writers. Um, I said to them, I saw you guys turning up in the middle of the morning, talking to Armando, having some ideas for some sketches and pushing off at 3 o'clock to go home and write them and mm. I just thought that's what I want to do I, mm. want, to do, I want to do that mm. and that really sharpened my so that's why in one sense a good, a good bit of advice is to try everything and to try whatever opportunities come along because you may well discover you like them less than you thought you would yeah. and that's you, you shut a door yeah. and that's brilliant you yeah. know, because yeah. In yeah, one yeah.
2: Sense focus is hard to focus find focus
1: is hard to find when you just want to be involved and that's why it's, it is quite hard when people ask me for advice on how they get into, I want to work in television. There's an element of, well, what what bit? Yeah. I mean, uh, what yeah, what, oh, what, yeah, yeah. what a vision mixer does compared to yeah. what a makeup person yeah. does, yeah, yeah quite yeah. different. Yeah. They're all in TV, so, um, so yeah, through all that, uh, so doing the sketches is was was really helpful for me, and I had the experience of that because I've been writing them for quite a long time because I've been sort of doing them at school, again doing them on stage and that kind of stuff. So that by the time that they commissioned a sitcom from me. And what I, what I happened to come across was uh, an idea which suited the sort of person that I was at the time to write. Because one of the problems with sitcom writing is it, it, benef- it the older you are in general, the better, because you have more life experience. Mm. You're able to see things from other people's perspectives a lot clearer. You realise that, that nobody thinks they're an idiot. Nobody thinks mm. they're crazy. Everyone thinks they're sane. And in the sitcom and a movie and everything everyone thinks they're doing the right thing you know you don't really get that many cat stroking you know lunatics um so but i happened to think of an idea which was effectively i i realized that some people that i'd been at university with were now management consultants and age 24 23 and 24 they were telling people twice their age how to run their business yeah and i thought oh that's not right the, mm. the arrogance you would need to do that, I should do a show on that and i and I thought, given that the average age of the radio four audience is about fifty something, yeah, and they 're driving home, yeah. having been at work all day <laughs> yeah, they'll,
2: they'll identify. With chinless
1: <laughs> wonders like this turning up and telling them how to run their business, yeah, yeah, I might um, be on something there so yeah. um, so that was helpful to think of that idea at the time, and so we did a series of five for some reason because they had a slot for five episodes at six thirty and um Boy, that really focuses your mind, Ooh. you know, because you think, blimey, a million people are going to hear this. Yeah. Uh, note to self, don't suck. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then through that, because it was my first sitcom and my producer's first sitcom, uh, they said, oh, you should, we'll, we'll give you a bit of help from a guy called Paul you Archer, who was sort of involved in the department at the time in a sort of general roving BBC sort of role. Yeah. And he... He co-wrote at least half of the episodes of The Vicar of Dibley. And before that, he'd done loads of other stuff. And, you know, very experienced writer. And so he gave us lots of really good advice and was really good at just sort of spotting where we thought we were trying to be clever. And he says, no, no, mate, you're too yeah. clever there. That doesn't, that... Yeah, believe yeah, yeah. me, that stuff tends not to work. And sometimes we listened to him and sometimes we didn't. Mm. And when we didn't, we tend to find that it didn't work. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but sometimes we did. And um, But what, so, well,
2: let's just... Uh, you know again sometimes when people write in yeah. you know we we cover the business element yeah. as we've talked about there but don't always cover the craft element yeah. so much what when you sat down to think about those ideas yeah. cuz sitcoms like a nightmare to me yeah. I've given it a go a couple of times that's I'm cl- sort of closing the door on it <laughs> it's right just, i just it's, I, they're awful. I read them, they're awful. Right. So well, not, if even you don't like them, then I guess... Even
1: like I don't like yeah, them. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Um, when I look back, yeah. you know, after after a year or something, and you look back and you're just like, no, this, you know, everything sucks. Yeah. W- where do you start from? So you have that idea. Do you launch in with characters? Do you launch in with situations? Because you you're in from a sketch show. Are yeah. you trying to join sketches together?
1: Well, what, look, I mean, one sense, the sketch the sketch stuff is really giving you the tools you know it's giving you a tool belt really rather than giving you set pieces that you think oh i could use that in a sitcom what it's really doing because i remember getting some really good advice uh from steve punt who was in the department the radio department at that time and he said he, he he sort of identified that you're at that stage when you start out that you've just got a list of really funny ideas and that's it. You're not going to think of any more. So you have to eke them out for your entire career and not give any of them away. Um, in fact, I think it's Victoria Wood says that sketches are like ovaries. Sorry, as in you have a certain number. A woman is born with a certain number of eggs in her ovaries. And when they're gone, they're gone. And she reckoned that she'd written all of her sketches and that's it. There, aren't, there are no more there. They're, they're gone. Um, which is a helpful way of thinking about it. But actually in one sense again it's like doing scales it's like working out how to write concisely you Mm. set up an idea very economically and then you establish the characters as quickly as you can you know and then you're and then you're working very quickly with dialogue and then you know not a word is wasted you know sketches that go on too long are a nightmare Mm. um so it's always economy always economy and then you might be tempted to think oh i've got half an hour here i don't have to be economic at all but once you start plotting stuff i mean you've just mm. um shot a movie and 90 minutes or 80 minutes that's plenty of time boy once you get going it mm. really isn't and you spend mm. most of your time actually just trying to shave yeah sh- shave off bits of dialogue half a page here and a bit there and do we need that scene mm. well I don't know you could sort of take that bit from mm. that scene and put it in there and then you don't need it and so you learn through through the sketches but then once you but the sitcom thing is like a almost like a the next next phase or a different beast altogether because it's like you need an, you need you need a situation you need characters and you need it to be about something um and so you could probably think of an original situation and some characters, but if it's not really about anything, you don't... That's mm. not really... It's, mm. it's well, that's,
0: just, that's a great tip. Let's put them on top three. Yeah. Thing. Number one is you have to have your situation. Yeah. it's a situation comedy. Hello, yeah. Clues in the title. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so that's good. Remember that. Yeah. Number two, characters, but not just characters, good characters. Yeah, exactly. Like yeah. Decent, well-defined, yeah. good dynamics between them. Yeah. That can, that can create yeah. the comedy within the situation. Yeah, yeah. But that third one then, which almost should be number one, really...
1: Mm. Is what's it about? What's it
0: about? Yeah. But do you don't mean? What do you mean by that? In terms of,
1: well, as in, what's it really about? Yeah. Um, so, so, so my first sitcom, Thinking Unthinkable, was about, uh, effectively, about the arrogance of youth, mm. and a little knowledge is a dangerous thing. So the main, the, the lead character was played by Marcus Brigstock who played someone who had totally drunk the management Kool Aid. Yeah. And so they would, they would often destroy the companies that they went to advise. Mm because they they did it with such confidence that everyone just thought, oh great, this is what people are doing now, and in it would just turn to total disaster. Mm. Or it might go well, but for unexpected reasons. The one that sticks out is, there was a failing hospital that wasn't getting enough stars, because there was a star rating of hospitals Mm. at the time. But they improved the food to such an extent, at at such great expense, that they ended up getting three Michelin stars... (laughs) So they did get the stars, but they were the wrong kind of stars. Right. If you see what I mean. So yeah, it's that, yeah, it was that yeah, yeah, kind yeah. of thing. Um, but uh, sorry, what, were you, what were we what we on about? What's, uh, so it about I mean, what's, what's it all about? about yeah, so yeah, I mean, the so, theme almost isn't it? it, it theme. What, what is the point of it? And actual, yeah. in actual fact, sometimes you don't need to know that going in when you're planning it, because these sorts of things. Uh, emerge but by the time you sort of start writing you really do need to know mm. i mean my my second uh, radio sitcom once um <laughs> once i think i think it will eventually got cancelled after four series uh which was a shame um they said oh well, what else do you want to do another one and i said uh yes please um do, do, do you want to earn money as a writer answer yes
0: <laughs> you're still writing by <laughs> yourself at this stage i was yeah because that's, Cause right. that's yeah. uncommon in comedy especially mm. with your background in radio sketches yeah. 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 and Edinburgh yeah that's and just, i just
1: haven't really because the guys i'd been at uni with had all gone in different directions and i hadn't really a lot of people who write in a partnership write with someone they are at school with quite often mm-hmm. or at university with or the they were kind of the person they met on their first day trying to write for weekending or newsjack or whatever and they sort of discover that they you know they make each other laugh i never really had that um at the start and for quite a long time afterwards but the, the next
2: wasn't show
1: wasn't making anyone laugh. No, exactly. <laughs> well, also, I just thought, you know, I slightly arrogantly thought, I don't. It's a, a mixture of arrogance, but also just like I can't split the money on this. I couldn't if yeah, I did, yeah, if yeah, I could yeah. only take fifty percent, I'm not going to eat. Yeah. yeah. So it's more self-preservation than anything else. Um, so like with the next show, which was, I thought, wouldn't it be great to do a sitcom set in Bletchley Park? Because Bletchley Park is cool. Mm. Um, and it wasn't. It was sort of was at the time and then went away and then came back again that's
0: true um, that is true and yeah I but of, it
2: takes a special mind to look at Bletchley Park and think that's a hot bait of gags yeah exactly <laughs> so or well, everything you, everything that's funny coding yes war very easy to explain this this.
1: <laughs> without pictures yeah 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 so and that took a while to, for those reasons in one sense you, you've, you've identified <laughs> these are problems so actually, what, I'm, what it ended up being about was about, rather than the super bright Alan Turing-type mm. people, it was, about, it was called Hut 33. And so Turing was in Hut 6 or yeah, Hut yeah, 3 yeah. and Hut 4, and these guys were doing, yeah. they were trying to crack the Italian naval codes. Uh, yeah. So it didn't really matter too much. Yeah, yeah, that yeah, yeah. They were slightly mucking about and yeah. trying to work out how to get nicer food and stuff. Yeah. So, but in the end, um, trying to work out what it was about, it ended up being about a, a class show. Yeah because just to, my wife has uh, got a history degree uh, from a much better university than mine, which is Oxford, and she talks, she's very interested in social history, and, she, and through talking to her and just watching documentaries and stuff, she said World War II was the time when the reason... It seems amazing to us that Churchill lost the election after the World mm. War II by a landslide. It wasn't even close. And one of the main reasons for that is during the war, people realised how the other half lived mm. and thought this has to change. If we've won the war, we've got to do something about this, because otherwise, what's the point? So in this show, it was a a question of showing a character who was part of the establishment, played by Robert Bathurst, who was an an elitist sort of chap, and then another character who pulled himself up by his bootstraps, who just happened to be really good at maths, played by Tom Goodman Hill, who was a Geordie. And they hated each other. Mm. And then there was some guy stuck in the middle, played by Fergus Craig. And once I come up with that, and I realised, oh, that's exactly the same as Only When I Laugh, mm. uh, starring, right. um, yeah, uh, it was yeah, yeah. Glover and Figgis, played yeah. by Peter Bowles and James yeah, Bowman, yeah, you know, yeah. that. yeah, yeah. I just thought, oh great, well that show works, so yeah. I'm watching that, so I've, I've sort of backed into that somehow. That so great. you sort of need to know what it's about, otherwise it's just, otherwise it's just a bunch of stuff. Okay. Um, so, you and, and quite often when you then start the show and you start writing it, or even once you start making it, you discover that the show isn't actually about what you thought it was about uh-huh. at all, um, and it sort of develops, it's a life of its own, but by that point you've got living, breathing characters who are sort of, when you know when it's going well, and I'm sure you found this when you're writing stuff, when the characters are talking, you're, yeah, it feel, yeah, yeah, when you're yeah. writing it feels like you're just writing down mm. what they're saying yeah. I mean that's voices in your head yeah. in a good way Yeah, and yeah. ideally for money Yeah, <laughs> as opposed to requiring medication
2: what's the kind of the, the nuts and bolts of it, so how long would you get to write, so say you, you're doing six episodes Yeah. are you how long are they you know, each episode I, 20, yeah.
1: 28 minutes 28 minutes on radio you're recording wow. about 34 wow um, so and you're oh, recording and chopping stuff, and then you're recording two in, you're recording two in one night right as well. yeah. in, front of of half, yeah, in front of an audience in front of an audience and how long
2: yeah. have you got to write those so you um, so are yeah. you, have you delivered them months before no or, or are you are you kind of like so you're recording two you know, and you then do, you know you're still polishing the, you're, the you're, next week you deliver
0: the,
1: you deliver the first one months before yeah. <laughs> and then the second one comes a bit after that and then you you start start tearing your hair out, yeah um usually the leading for radio in my experience, the leading times usually aren't too bad mm. um and it, as you obviously get more experience, you get faster, so I ended up writing um a couple of episodes of somebody else's show uh, called Elven Quest, which is like a uh Lord of the Rings spoofy kind of show which had sort of like Darren Boyd and Kevin Eldon and people like that, and it was just great fun. And with those, I just thought, oh, I could probably write, because I knew the show, I really liked it. I just thought, I could probably write one of those in two weeks, from beginning to end, as it were. But they'd already set up all the characters, it was series four, and that was fine. So, in terms of, for me, it was always a couple of ideas for the, you know, come up with some ideas, that's a day. Hmm. Polishing, refining those ideas, that's another day. Plotting it out properly, that's another day. First draft, four or five days. Second draft, two days. Third Hmm. draft, one day. Yeah, that's sort of about 10, 11 working days. And then you've got the recording. Yeah. But that's sort of, now that I know what I'm doing on a show that I'm confident already yeah. works. So when you're, and that's the problem with sitcom in particular, which is why one sense, I don't envy people trying to make features is because you don't know how it's going to turn out and you've got to, you've, you've got to get the secret sauce right straight away. Yeah. Um, so writing the pilot episode is is the hardest yeah, episode course. to write. um, so, because you've, you've got to set up all the characters, estab- you know, establish the situation yeah. from a blank canvas. The audience have no idea who, this, you know, who these people are, why they should care about and all that kind of stuff. And with a movie, you're doing that every time, mm. which is why I've always been more attracted to the sitcoms. Because it's like, well, you've, d- you've done all the hard work. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's yeah. why movies now are so sequel-based, aren't they? You yeah. now just get tons and tons of sequels. That's it. What? Um,
2: What you talked before about uh, Edinburgh Mm. being like now everything. Yeah. And uh part of that has led to a rise in the kind of uh, writer performer. Yeah. You know, so you've got a show on at Edinburgh and they bag the you know, have yeah. written that, so they bag that kind of performer yeah. and then writing obviously you're not a performer. Yeah, yeah. Only a reluctant performer and now not a performer yes. at all. <laughs> do you think that you could do it, do do it again now, or do you think now, because you're not yeah. you don't want to do the performing part, mm. you'd be at a disadvantage if you were starting today?
1: Well, it, it, I mean, I, I would say that if you can perform and you can bring yourself to do Edinburgh, it would be well worth your while doing it. Um, and again, you know, Edinburgh itself now is very hard to crack because it is so competitive. There are so many people there, yeah. but at the same time, there are so many other people like you there that if you if you're going from a standing start, if you've got no contacts mm. at all, you could do a lot worse than do a show at the Free Fringe. Mm. And it'll probably be awful, as in your show will be awful because you haven't because you haven't got any experience. But that's yeah. all right; it's fine. You may make your mistakes, and yeah, yeah, yeah. But there'll be some good stuff there, I'm sure. You'll see what other people are doing, yeah. And they'll see what you're doing, and then you realise, oh, well, actually, next year, yeah. we could do something hundred times better together, yeah. yeah. And and you've got and suddenly you've got friends and contacts, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. So like yeah, yeah, like yeah. you guys are, are r- rightly encouraging people to go to screenwriting festivals because it's it's about being in the mix you know it's about yeah. it's about being around because you you have to be part of the industry yeah and you know feel like you belong as well it's hard when um, you're and, on your own isn't it oh, that, it's a as nightmare. a writer sort of yeah. thing yeah you are uh, screaming and demoralizing yeah and you feel powerless really mm. and that and that's again the beauty of doing stuff live which is why it felt like I had an advantage because I did some bits and bobs at school and then at university is you get that immediate reaction, and you sort of work out. <clears throat> In fact, I was listening to uh, your last interview with Mark, uh, Stay. Mark, Stay. Mark Stay, which is great, and he said that he had somebody quite early on say, "You should be a writer because you can mm. you can do this," mm. and that's actually that's a really big thing because I remember the first or second time I went down to Radio to write Weekending. Um, the script editor, who doesn't work in comedy anymore, I don't think, and has, I think left writing altogether. He sat me down and just said, "Right, you've written five sketches. Um, uh, let's just go through them." And then he started. He tore into the first one and said, "Okay, the problem here was this, and this, and this." And then he looked, and then he, and then he looked at me and he just said, "Oh, I'm only telling this because you're good." And that you know, none of those five sketches got on. They weren't they weren't yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. But he just said, he just said, he, he, just, he yeah. just said, "Oh, you can do this. This is fine. Yeah. Don't, don't worry about it." This isn't. You are not wasting your time by doing yeah. this. And actually, sometimes at those open door policy shows. you, say, yeah. you mm-hmm. can spot people who probably are wasting their time. Yeah. Yeah. But then again, they might off. They might be the next Mike Lee. So who who knows? Yeah. 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 You can't know really, can you? No. Um. So, but, but I, I was in that position because I'd already been writing sketches for three, four, five years, and I'd done a whole lot of stuff at uni and failed in front of audiences succeeded sometimes you know worked out why I succeeded and then failed because I'd actually failed to work out why I'd succeeded mm. you know there are so many ways of doing it and it just so it's, it's, it is a mixture of contact
0: experience and yeah. it
1: just takes a long long time
0: well everything you described <clears throat> so far is the classic trajectory almost yeah. of the modern comedy TV writer mm. you know uh, when I started in Channel Four's comedy department it was like People writing sketches just yeah. on their computer. They would send them in. They wouldn't get anywhere. But if they went to Edinburgh and did, did a show, even if it was rubbish, yeah. it was like that was a one notch on the scale, as you say. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then radio was the natural next step. Yeah. And getting a few um, sketches on radio. Yeah. Then you'd write TV sketch shows. So you get your sketches on the TV, uh, whatever sketch shows yeah, around. And,
1: and you, would, you would hear about TV sketch shows that were looking for material that you just wouldn't have heard about. Exactly. Because you would just assume... Armstrong and Miller have got their own writers, and that's that. Yeah. No, no, that's that's not the case. Yeah. They're they're, they're taking they've they've got previous writers, but there are new ones coming through yeah. all the time. Mm-hmm.
2: Previous ones maybe got their own show. Now. Yeah. And, and they're on they're,
1: on they're writing kind of movies yeah. for Ardman, You know. Yeah. They're doing their own thing. They've moved. They've yeah. Moved exactly. On.
0: So that was the natural evolution. So from sketch shows, doing your own sitcom kind yeah. of thing, which is you, which mm-hmm. we'll get to. But do you think that's changed now, even in, as we move into the twenty first century? Well,
1: I mean, going back to what you asked about the writer performer, the writer performer is a little bit of a game changer Mm. and because the biggest shows recently in terms of mainstream sitcom, well and even not mainstream sitcom, you're looking at Miranda, Mm. writer-performer, you're looking at Mrs. Brown's Boys, writer-performer you're looking at Not Going Out, Lee Mack, Mm. writer-performer. On BBC 2 you've got The Trip Mm. yeah, Uh, you've got um, other shows, you've also got Rev, Mm -hmm. Mm. but Tom Hollander was the co-writer of some of the first episodes of that with his regular collaborator. But what's interesting you now is in one sense, I think some of the comedy slots are now being hoovered up by writer performers, but almost never do they write by themselves. Yeah, true. So Jack D did Lead Balloon, he wrote that with Pete Sinclair. Mm. Um, what's his name? Simon Amstall did Grandma's That's House. Right. And he co-wrote that with mm. his with his mate. Mm. Lee Evans, if he ever does another sitcom or something, but He's got a guy he writes with all the time, yeah. and then once and you know Lee Mack did his show, and there are five or six writers credited on that. Yeah. Dave Cohen's one of them, and yeah. who take a gag pass at it and are part of the process. So there's a sense in which um, there's still there's still tons of comedy around, but your role as a writer, the, the old so the old days, I did a blog post about this a while ago, I think. But if you look at the top twenty or so sitcoms of all time, which which, is when the BBC did their big thing about ten years ago yeah, Britain's yeah. Best Sitcom, and they got the top ten, and, and I think it was run by Fools and Horses. That's right. It? But out of the top ten, twenty, thirty shows, all but about one of them were written by writers, mm. not writer-performers. Mm. And the only big hitter one written by writer-performers was Faulty Towers. Yeah. Um, but all the others were basically written by two blokes who'd been at school together. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. So you're looking yeah. at... Steptoe and Son and, yeah. um, you know, if you're looking at well, Esmond and Larby and um, mm-hmm. all those sorts of guys who are writing well, this together. Well, is,
2: this is the thing. I'm only, because uh, I'm not a comedy expert, I'm, I don't think about these things all the time as much I think as you of, do. I think
1: of very little else.
2: Exactly. <laughs> but the thing that a writer can bring, as in the work that mm. you've done, is the sort of ensemble kind yeah. of, you know, dad's army kind yeah. of thing. Yeah or your your group mm. of management people or yeah. you know that kind of thing whereas the writer performer is Miranda it's about mm. me yeah. being funny yeah, yeah. with some you know backup yeah david brent you know yeah, yeah. whatever Whereas like the writer is like, right, I'm gonna write about anything and yeah. anyone and I can, you know, I can move gags around yeah. and it's that kind of thing. So you almost see those differences, don't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. So it would be a shame if the writer performer idea went too far because we lose that whole yeah. genre yeah. of the ensemble I, cast.
1: I mean, I agree. I mean I think it's you know, it's it's probably a both hand. What was great as writers was to be able to work with so what writers do deliver on and can deliver on is a writer-performer show is so, it's put so much pressure on the writer-performer mm. that if you want more than six episodes ever yeah. you're going to probably need a bit of backup because yeah. they're going to burn through a lot yeah. of their ideas but also a lot of their energy mm. so and that's why you know Not Going Out has been able to run for seven, eight series I or tried out like that. for
0: Not Going Out I don't know if you know that Tim was, Did you write a spec? I prepared? wrote a, but of a spec of Not Going Out which yes. is rare Yes. yes. But under their suggestion. That's what they mean, wanted. Yeah. yeah, they asked me to ask spec
1: one well, as well and yeah. I said, no, I'm not doing that. I
0: did it, I did it. <laughs> I did it almost for the challenge Oh, yeah. yeah, no. Because there was it's a week deadline and, yeah. and it was really hard because not going out is gag, gag, gag yes. every yeah. second bit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, so, it's, it's, but it's, I did all right, it's, but it's, I didn't get on. It's no. almost
2: a stand-up thing, isn't it? It's almost stand-up in that
1: flat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it is, yeah. And that's why, you know, and it is just joke, 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 which is great, you know. And and I've watched pretty much every episode. I think, Um, but yeah. So you've got your so the writers, the beauty, you know, the advantage of the writer is obviously they can conceive of a world that doesn't involve them and a personal performance. um, Yeah, that they obviously the 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 reason that writer performer shows are so popular is because they bring a an audience Mm. uh, with them. So you know, if you can think of a, a sitcom, you know, if Jack D wants to do another sitcom, the the channel are going to go, oh great, everyone loves Jack D. Yeah. What's not to like? Yeah. Um, and therefore, in one sense, it feels like they're going to, he's going to get a new show on easier than somebody mm. coming from a standing of course, start. Of course. But at the same time, you know, the idea has to be right, and it has to feel of its time, and it has to has to be has to be good. Um. So you've got those shows, but. Yeah, but you, you you but you need so there there are there are probably as many opportunities if not more than before, and they do involve writer performers and therefore if you can write perform mm. quite, I mean quite often you end up you start off being a writer performer and then it and then it sort of, that sort of tails off, but you form a relationship with somebody else and you become a writer for them and a trusted person so that you share in their success and contribute to it as well. Mm. So um, so yeah, that, and that's how I ended up writing on Miranda because I'd done a bit of stuff on her radio show,
0: and... Was that your first TV?
1: Uh, no, um, I because of doing Think Unthinkable with his Paul Mayhew Archer um, mentor, as it were, he then got me uh, work writing uh, a show called My Hero, oh, uh, which R was the Hanlon yeah, yeah, show, yeah, that, which yeah. was That's early 2000s. Early yeah. 2000s, uh, much unloved by critics, uh, perfectly right, enjoyed yeah. by the audiences, yeah you know, it's basically Mork and Mindy. Um, that's right, so yeah. that's, from, with yeah. yeah. with Father <laughs> yeah. fine. Yeah. I mean, what's not to like? So, uh, through, so I did, so through my experience of doing radio, I then got to write some episodes of that. And I did six in the end. Did it, I did two in series four, two in series five and two in series six. And for me, and that's why I've, um, I'm always immensely grateful uh, to Paul and why I slightly dedicated my sitcom writing, uh, uh, book to him. Um, is because through that, I, I had a paid apprenticeship effectively mm-hmm. an extremely well paid apprenticeship because I was writing BBC One mm. primetime BBC sitcom. One
0: prim- didn't you do smack the pony or anything I like? did that too yeah because yeah, that was, that was before. before that.
1: Yeah, yeah yeah and that's great to do and I enjoyed that but I wasn't I wasn't really part of that yeah I was sort of slightly on the periphery that
0: was just literally every writer known to man please yeah. send us your sketches yes yeah, pretty much uh, yeah yeah
1: and 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 some of us had stuff that stuck, stuck and some didn't yeah um,
2: it was very, very a very variable show it was,
1: was yeah yeah, but it was very popular at the time yeah. it was oh, huge, yeah. huge thing. Yeah. but so i did I did six episodes of my hero and i did an episode of my family as well uh, again through paul who sort of put me in touch with them so that was so i so i'd done seven episodes of again somebody else's show um
2: when that, when sorry, when did you feel like confident or do you still not feel that?
1: I, I look forward to that day.
2: Yeah. No, oh, no, don't well, be so modest. Well, no, you know, like, so it a, sounds like there's a lot of... I mean, again, this is the thing. Time compression in yeah, retrospect. Yeah. You know, it sounds... Then I did this. Then I did this. And of course, like, we know yeah. that can be two or three years yeah, apart yeah, when exactly. you say then I did that. Yeah. The uh,
0: horror yeah. of experience. Yeah. And all this. And, but, and, the, and in
2: between. But when did you feel like, actually, I kind of know what I'm doing. Yeah. It's kind of like, I know... I feel like, you know, when the phone rings and someone says... You know, can you help on my show? You know, you sort of feel like, yeah, I can do that. Yeah. I'll be all right with this. And I don't need to start looking for other jobs. You know, like, yeah, this is yeah. the career. Think, when did yeah. you feel that?
1: Um, yeah, it was probably, yeah, probably was, you know, five or six years in. I think really? by the time I was writing episodes three or four of My Hero. By you know, yourself um, still? By yourself. Yeah. But with a lot of help from, of course, yeah. from their team. Of course. Who between them had directed Alexi Sales stuff yeah and had created sitcom you know who's yeah. there's wins and you know just the the, the, the comedy chops of the people that I was working with to make sure that mm. you know I felt like I was cycling with stabilizers mm. yeah um, but being treated as if I was competing in the Tour de France yeah uh, <laughs> it was great and, uh, <laughs> it was a very ple- it was it was, a, it was, you know although I have had the worst day of my professional career also on that show um when uh, the read through of one of my episodes uh, just wasn't funny. I mean, it just it was it, right. was it was obvious to everyone in the room that this script stinks. It wasn't
0: your first one, though. No, Thank no, God. it wasn't. Okay.
1: But what? How did that? Um, how did that happen? If you
2: see, have you? Have you found an answer of why that was? So, like, when you were writing it, did you think this is as good as the other ones? Yeah, it's been hilarious. So yeah. you, you you were totally blindsided by that. Well, I was. Or did you have a little niggle? No, like, I, mm-hmm.
1: I, I was totally blindsided by it, which is why it was so unpleasant. Yeah, cool. And what was what was the the, the great thing about it was, I mean, the, the thing that made it even worse was we'd already pre-recorded about two or three scenes of it that had special effects added to them that we were pretty much committed to. So mm. there were some. Ten poles pretty firmly whacked into the ground, uh, which I was not really at liberty to change. But, you know, the the director, John Stroud, the exec uh, producer, Marcus Mortimer, the uh, script editor, Paul Mayhew Archer, the show creator, Paul Mendelssohn, and Jamie Ricks, the producer, and the, uh, no, it was the, it was the director, uh, no, producer, they just, we, we went downstairs afterwards. The actors all went home because there was no point in rehearsing this. Mm and um and they all said uh oh we didn't see that one coming we thought the script was in good shape uh let's, mm. let's what's what are the problems here and they just we we just fixed it mm. as if we worked out a way forward and at lunchtime by the time we hit lunchtime I was like right I I better go off and do these rewrites then and they said mm. yeah good luck <laughs> you No, know, can we have it in the inbox early first thing please mm. so I just went home and rewrote the darn thing and mm had some very concrete ways
0: forward is that the one that won a BAFTA
1: <laughs> no but it's uh, yes, right my hero winning a BAFTA imagine um, but the uh, but it was my favourite one of the six movies. there
0: you go I knew it would come out it was like and that. it was
1: one yeah it was it, it was it was a great fun episode but yeah no I it, it was awful it mm. felt awful but in one sense that was my lowest low mm. but, but to survive that I just thought okay I do I do well,
2: feel that's like well when you're working with great guys yeah. like almost a list of legends yeah, yeah. then it's a if they think it was all right yeah. you know that it wasn't anything you've just yeah. done and you realise, stupidity yeah you yeah know,
1: you yeah. realize that these again i was mentioned earlier these things take on a life of their own you just mm. think oh this is great this feels good and then you discover, oh no it's no good
2: how do you have a i mean it's hard comedy so subjective yeah um do you ever get into ridiculous arguments about what's funny yeah. that is of course the least funny thing to do yeah when yeah you, when you're discussing you know that is,
1: your, is how your, to
2: fold a deck chair and you're describing it and of course that's absolutely yeah absolutely no no comedy there but when you see it it might be funny yeah, yeah. or it might not exactly how, how do you how do you sort of settle an argument about what's funny or not
1: well in a sense um it depends who you're talking to really because there are when it's just you, you can pretty much do whatever you like. Um, so with radio, that's the beauty of it, is you are the writer, and then there's the producer, and the producer may have strong feelings about stuff or not. And so in one sense, you're gonna, uh, they're going to back you and your judgment. Yeah. Um, and the beauty of radio, again, which is why listeners should really think about radio, is the opportunities there are enormous. Uh, radio 4 could probably commission more original comedy than all of TV put together. Mm. Uh, so the opportunities there are, are huge. And also what's great is if you are wrong in your judgment and you fail, it doesn't matter because mm. no, nobody nobody really cares too much. Um, that's the frustrating yeah. thing about radio is if you get good at it, yeah. um, nobody cares. But also <laughs> if you failed at it, also nobody cares. Yeah, 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 <laughs> so yeah. there's an element of, um, it's a, it is a double-edged sword in that sense, or a very blunt sword in both edges I yeah. so can't yeah. work out Yeah, away. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so I, one show I ended up getting involved with, uh, which I've written, now co-written eight series of is a show with Milton Jones. So, uh, so the latest version is called Thanks a Lot Milton Jones. Mm. He is the star of the show. The show exists because of him. Mm. I write stuff with him, apart from him. We, and then we just go, we just go through it line by line All over right. the course of two days. And... He then often after that has a pass by himself and if he just doesn't like jokes, he'll just delete them. Yeah. And that's and Because and he's just, got to deliver, not yeah, he? so
2: he has to be comfortable yeah. with doing and the, that. And
1: yeah, he did Milton is the is the nicest man in the world, very easy to get on with, um, and is you know, doesn't have to prove himself. So but what he occasionally does is when I write a joke, or we go through it, and I discover that he's deleted a joke that I've written. Mm. And yeah, I I you know I don't really have a particularly big ego problem, but I say, oh, what happened to the so and so joke? And he goes, well, oh, just didn't didn't quite do it. Mm. And and I, and I and sometimes I would come back with, but it's exactly the same kind of joke as this other joke you do, and that always goes really well. To which the answer is, yeah, I know, yeah, yeah. But it's just like <laughs> he he's the one out there who has yeah, to sell cool. it, yeah. and exactly. And, and so it was great to learn that lesson before I then worked with Miranda, who. Again, she is the one who, her name is the show.
0: Mm.
1: If it rides or falls on her, she's in front of the audience. She knows her own comedy sensibility. If she doesn't want to do the joke, she's not doing it. No,
2: no. So
1: there's no point arguing about it. No. Or, or even actually talking her into it. Mm. Because then she's going into stuff sort of slightly... Second guessing. Second guessing or uh, just yeah, yeah. thinking, well... Well, geez. all
0: of this makes perfect sense, though. But yeah. at the same time... You've gone through the process, you've written a good gag that's yeah. gone through maybe two read throughs. Yeah. So you're thinking, well, yeah, yeah. Oh, you want to hold on yeah. to it. It's like, why have you surrendered it for something inferior? for Yeah. Yeah. Out loud. yeah. And that happens. <laughs> and in
1: one sense, they could turn to you and say, well, I'm very much looking forward to seeing the James Carey show. <laughs> um, uh, Do you want to go out there in front of these people? No, I didn't think you did. <laughs> so. <laughs> So those are those are the you know yes. those are the swings and roundabouts of it, yes. as it were. In one sense, not having all that on your shoulders is is a really good feeling because you mm. just get get mm. to go home and play with your kids yeah. and not worry about it mm. and not have sleepless nights, particularly. This is true. So in one sense, that's kind of the, that it's it's almost a sort of bread and butter work, but it's yeah it's more than that because there aren't that many sitcoms out there. So if you get to work on them, you really want them to succeed, and of course, and you do pour everything into them um but so if you're writing with a writer performer and they're the ones selling the joke in one sense if they don't want to do the joke that's fine yeah you know and you and you and then you might come back with a oh okay not that how about this boom and they go oh great okay that's really good um or they've got their own version they think trust me this will work and it nine times out of ten it does work because they know their own voice they know their audience so through uh, doing Miranda, I met Richard Hurst, who I write with. And we created uh, Bluestone Bluestone Four Two together. We we resolve our differences slightly differently because we no none of us is pulling rank on the other because mm. we're a partnership. Mm. Um, and in general, uh, we don't really ever do lines that neither that we're that only one of us is happy with. Quite often, right. one of us will say, oh, "I'm not sure about that one," and then sometimes Richard will go, well, no, the reason it has to be that is because of this or that. And you go, uh, oh, yes, oh, no, yeah, no, because it pays off the joke earlier and then, the, okay, yeah, that's fine. Or sometimes I just go, he'll defend it and I'll go, yeah, fine. I, I, I'm not going to have another go at it because I don't feel that strongly about it. Mm. And sometimes it's it's more a question of, I don't like it or he doesn't like it, and then we just think of a third way that mm. we both like, and that usually... Produces something that's stronger than the original joke, although that's the problem is you never, you never know. There are no real control experiments. Yeah. Um, Although I suppose the Edinburgh Fringe, to some extent, is where you do the same show twenty, three times in a row, and what gets last one night compared to the next night is baffling. You know, it's like yeah. Oh no,
2: there's no rhyme or reason. Yeah, yeah. Especially if you've
1: got a real woofing joke at the top, Mm. and they don't go for it. And you think, oh my goodness, this is. Anyway, we've had one or two of those, and you give a whacking great big joke, and the audience, you just get nothing. Yeah. You just think, oh, this is a long thing. So you mm. go through the show, not much laughter, and then at the end, the crowd just go, yeah, that's great, that's great. So, oh man, he could have told he us. Said, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he could have uh, let us know. were enjoying funny. it funny, lol. Yes, exactly. I was uh,
2: at the Screenwriters Festival, I went to talk to Carl Gottlieb, who wrote The Jerk. The oh yeah. Martin.
1: Blimey, that's uh, a classic.
2: Yeah, and they met by doing stand-up together. So okay. it's virtually the same thing yeah. as you're talking about, yeah. but much earlier in time, obviously. And, um yeah, he said he's still sort of none the wiser about what's funny, Yeah, you know, until he does it. And then only then, he goes, only if after three shows, you know, people have all laughed or all yeah. not laughed, Yeah, can he be certain? Because yeah. it's so variable, like yeah, what yeah. gets a laugh doesn't get a laugh and so on. So the only time they... Him and Steve Martin were confident that yeah. a gag was good, yeah. was after three consecutive yeah, kind yeah. of laughs or no, you know, or no yeah. So is it is it, that, that process. Then, th- then the wiser, if you yeah, see what I mean, after yeah. a, after a lifetime doing it. That's it. Di- I
1: mean, the and actually, for for listeners who are interested in that particular joke mechanics sort of stuff, um, the Comedians Comedian podcast is fantastic. Um, and they're, they're, I mean, Stuart Goldsmith must have done over 130, 140 of them, where he just does boringly technical conversations like we're doing now, but with stand-up comedians. He's right. a stand-up comedian himself. Yeah. And he talks to them about their process, Great. how they do new material, how they got their breaks. Oh, that would be good. There's a particularly good one he does uh, about joke mechanics with um, Gary Delaney, uh, who is a joke, joke, joke guy, uh, does Mock the Week sometimes. And there's another guy called uh, Adam Bloom as well, who's a real joke technician, who also has a slightly... Um, Uh, odd ability to pretty much remember every joke he's ever heard anyone do, ever. So sometimes a comedian might think of a joke and then just think, somebody must have thought of that. Oh, I'll phone Adam Bloom. Adam, has this joke so-and-so been done? Uh, No. Oh, so-and-so does a joke that's similar about this, this and this, but I think you're all right. Oh, great. Mm -hmm. Cheers, Adam. (laughs) So... You know, this this sort of joke mechanic world yeah, is yeah. kind of an interesting yeah, yeah. one. But you know, as a as a non performing writer, these these are the sorts of things that you are thinking of course, about. Of course, of um, course. and sort of enjoy, you know. So exactly. uh, yeah. Right,
2: well it's better wrap it up Well, Danny. Time's none. pressing oh, But honestly. if you've got a last well, one. Well, well, yeah, well, you, ma- you mentioned
0: Bluestone forty two. Yeah. So so far you've been the poster boy for the comedy writer trajectory. Yes. Edinburgh radio. Writing your own um, episodes for TV. Yeah. Then you get to the Holy Grail of doing your own show. Yes. Which you co-created with Richard Hurst, yeah. as you say. You've done two series of uh, blue Three series of for oh. two. My God. Oh. Yeah. Uh, and that's now finished. And that's all I'll over. I'll be definitely now. finished. Yes. Okay. We, we hadn't, but the channel had.
2: Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> Let's not make over that, but it's finished.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah. So... I don't know. Tell us about that. I mean, I have a specific question, but I think it should come after whatever you want to tell us. Well,
1: only in that it just felt really great to be able to call the shots and Mm -hmm. do your own show. Um, And it felt like everything I'd done up until that point was feeding in. And I did actually have the confidence by that stage. You know, I I mean, I I pitched a TV version of Think the Unthinkable about uh, seven, eight years earlier. uh, And in retrospect it was devastating not in fact we pitched it twice didn't get bought either time and it was pretty annoying at the time because you watch stuff on tv and go oh this is rubbish why don't they buy my show and looking back you just think oh i'm not sure i was ready i think this was this was that was too big for me and i think i might have failed spectacularly on a prime time you know Mm. network channel so it felt like in one sense i was able to you know, go on the nursery slopes and work my way up to the Black Runs and then it's Bluestone is it's like, here it, you go. It, but even that was slightly hidden because it's on BBC Three and, mm. you know, it's not, it's not 8.30 on BBC One. Mm. But yeah, that was an amazing experience to be able to work with um, lots of amazing people and, and talking about, in previous podcasts, you talk about the collaborative effect of television. So radio is very much you, your script, the actors come in, they read it through a couple of times, once with the effects, the audience come in, they record it, boom, You're done your script's no good you're in all sorts of trouble because there's virtually nothing between your script and the audience at home whereas tv is so much more complicated you've got um you've got so but it is a collaboration and Mm -hmm. you have to really embrace that um so which which we did we got to go out to south africa where we filmed it and there was always one of us on set at the time we did tons of research for it as well um in fact that will be and that would be a podcast in its own right really is researching a sitcom because Mm. It's something that initially, especially if you're young and lazy, uh, you don't want to research something because you'd rather just write the TV mm. version of what you think that world is. And actually, by t- we talked to quite a lot of soldiers ex-soldiers, um, and the stuff we found out was just way more interesting than we could possibly have come up with ourselves. And all I would say, in, in, in all 21 episodes... Uh, there's, a, there's a sort of an A plot, a B plot and a C plot. So if there are 60 plots, I would say at least 45 of those plots came from a genuine story that we heard yeah. that we've tweaked or twisted in some way. And, you know, it's based on experience. Um, so, so the research really unlocks the, the, unlocks the world. And suddenly you start to be writing about truth and reality in a way that comes across. So we always try to get stuff militarily correct even though we know the audience don't know Mm. and probably don't care, but they can sort of tell when it's fake, even though they'd have no way of knowing whether it's Mm. fake or not. So I think doing your research, if you can, if if you're going to set a sitcom um, in a betting shop, which is always the the example I always use as a betting shop, because there hasn't been one on that, and I'm pretty sure I'm never going to write one on that, so that's fine. Mm. But you want to go to a betting shop and spend a lot Mm. of time there, Try, you know lose some money in a betting shop and see how it feels talk to people who work there talk to the people yeah. who come in and go yeah. talk to the manager talk to somebody who runs the place who doesn't actually get to talk mm. you know what i mean you sort of want to immerse yourself in that world because um, then you'll start to think of those real characters and then they start to talk in your head and you get yeah. to write it down rather than writing you know which is a lot easier
0: yeah but but you had a follow-up i did my specific question really almost controversial. Yes. Would you call your own sitcom a sitcom?
1: Because it was a comedy drama. Well, that, uh, that's
0: my question. I'll yeah, at, no, we... But we, also in terms of traditional sitcom mm, audience. Yeah. And then, say, The Office. Let's say The Office Yeah. Uh, paved the way for that handheld, Yeah. no studio, and then everybody did it like that. Yeah, yeah. Camp. So the modern sitcom has become a different beast now.
1: It has, although I think there is, I think the sitcom has always been for me Uh, a half-hour comedy narrative Mm. where the characters basically begin and end in the same place. Nobody learns, nobody changes. That, for me, is why why I love sitcom the most because I think that most accurately reflects the human experience, which is people don't learn, Mm. they don't listen, you have the same conversation with the same people every week like this podcast. Like this podcast. <laughs> but, you know, with your, with your other half, with your parents, with your brother, your sister, with yeah, yeah, your colleagues, yeah, 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 yeah. you were just like thinking to yourself, how are we discussing the same thing mm. again? I know what so and is going to do before he's even done it, even mm. though I've told him mm. to not do it that way. I think that represents, uh, that represents life. I think sitcom taps into that. So I think it is, although it, its roots are undoubtedly in the theatre and in the live thing, I think the non-audience sitcom has always been a valid form of the sitcom. And so for me, it's sort of... We only, and we only called Bluestone a comedy drama at the start because we didn't want people to think that we were making jokes about soldiers. It's
0: audience sec- expectations Yeah, as well. so we were trying to... Where's the laugh track... We right? were slightly
1: covering yeah, ourselves, yeah, yeah, yeah. but actually we wrote it as a comedy. Mm-hmm. We didn't... And in order for you to have proper comedy and also to re- reflect the truth of the situation it is going to be inherently dramatic wherever you are, but mm. especially where if you step outside the yellow line, you might lose both of your legs. Mm. I mean, that's going to that's focus your mind slightly. Mm. So in one sense, the drama, we only really had drama to serve the comedy. Um, so it was great to be able to do, you know, when eventually one of the characters does have a pretty serious um, incident, we were then able to do the joke whereby a, a genuine story we'd heard of some soldiers who, Sent their mate who'd had his leg blown off a bag of jelly babies with all the leg with with, with one leg bitten off all of them, and you know we, we didn't get to do that joke in series one so it's a bit dark and bleak, but mm. we pretty much got our way there to series three and so in one sense, we were doing the drama because we wanted to do the comedy as well mm. uh so you know they really do go uh, hand in hand, which is why your show has to be about something yeah great. and exactly. you know, and bluestone is about why exactly. soldiers love being soldiers,
0: okay. Well, okay, well, that's awesome. We could chat forever. Tell us where you are online, because I know you're online quite a bit like yeah, us. Yeah,
1: right. in lieu of actual working. Um, <laughs> so I I blog uh, at Sitcom Geek, uh, which is sitcomgeek.blogspot.com. But if yeah. you Google Sitcom Geek, I, no, I, that's I win. That's easy. You do and win. then off the back of that, I meet... Uh, with Dave Cohen, another uh, oh yeah, I know Dave, sitcom writer and comedy writer who's also written songs for Horrible Histories and mm-hmm. has many more strings to his bow than I do. Um, who's also written a very good book called How to Be Averagely Successful at Comedy, <laughs> um, which is a fantastically him <laughs> yeah. title. Yeah. Um, but uh, so uh, we do a podcast called Sitcom Geeks where we just talk about sitcom for half an hour. so uh, Work me. That's out? on iTunes and Sound probably on SoundCloud, British Comedy Guide host it. So if you look up Sitcom Geek's podcast, you'll probably find that fairly quickly. And I tweet as Sitcom Geek. And I've I've also written a book, uh, an e-book, Kindle book, uh, called Writing That Sitcom, uh, which is almost entirely based on going from having an idea to writing the darn thing, to then a little bit of how it looks like. Oh, if you right. get I'm going to gonna buy that oh, straight right. away. Put uh, put, and also there's a little bit about writing for kids on it, which I've done a bit. Yeah, you have done a bit of
0: that. Yeah, and
1: writing for radio, and but in in general, it is about. It's also quite emotionally honest about how painful it is. Mm. And the first chapter or two, I'm actually trying to put you off.
2: Oh, no, that's all um, our listeners will love all that.
1: Yeah, <laughs> people get inspired by that. Yeah, No, they're, exactly. they're used to it. yeah, with yeah, that, yeah. So The that, refiner's that. fire. Yeah, exactly. Please, I, oh, well, I do want to do it. Well, so they're... that's writing that sitcom, which is, uh, if you look for that on Amazon, you can mm. get that for the Kindle or the Kindle app for an iPad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The yeah, physical yeah. version does not exist. No, um, I went down that road. Yeah, and he's, I he's too lazy to do the layout. <laughs> yes, that's what, yes that's we what discussed he said. that earlier. Uh,
0: no, but, but also, that, uh, I was just going to say, chances are, what listeners, whenever you get to see our film, who killed Nelson Nutmeg? And uh, you laugh at some of the lines. Chances are they're the lines that James wrote. Oh, (laughs) Oh, well, I think that's true. I I may
1: have sprinkled a few in, but... uh, Yeah, the funny ones. You guys have very much done the heavy lifting. I just got to... Well, you know, your
0: gags are in the trailer for a start. Oh, that's great. I've forgotten
1: (laughs) which ones are mine, so you can
2: claim them if you want.
0: Oh, we do. (laughs) Great.
1: Uh,
2: So, yeah. Um, So, uh, you know, we're not sitcom or comedy experts, listeners, as you're all, all too aware but uh, so if you're more into the sitcom and you enjoyed Andrew Ellard's, uh interview, we the one we did with him, is that a year ago now? And it's right, really good. It's just really good. Yeah. If you want more of that stuff, then head on over. You can. You don't have to give up listening to us. You can listen to us oh, no. and James's podcast. You know, you don't have to choose. No. So uh, if sitcoms your bag. <laughs> And, and
1: the Comedian's Comedian podcast geeks. as well. Yeah, all of yeah. them. Um, that's sort of every week, I think. Mean. They knock one of those out. Oh, so how would people um, do it? I don't yeah, know. I don't cool. know. Anyway. Well,
0: you, you can email us, UKScriptWriters at hotmail.com. UKScriptWriters is our handle on Twitter and Facebook. Yes. Uh, we've got our own book out, which is the UK Scriptwriter's Survival, survival Handbook. Book. Which uh, tells you how to survive and make which, a living.
2: Which is the other, which is the opposite. But there's no, there's no Kindle. Go on, give it a flick, Dave.
0: There
1: you go. That's the sound of a real over two
2: hundred pages of real book that you can purchase. On Amazon, we kept it real because we we found that people seem to enjoy reading it in the toilet. Yeah. So we, they didn't want to get their iPad wet or anything. Fair enough. So enough. Well, um, what are you doing
1: with your iPad in the toilet? Come on. <laughs> exactly.
2: Yeah. So uh, that's why we got it as a real book. But we might do a Kindle one eventually. We'll see how we feel. Um, so yeah, get hold of that if you can. And in the meantime, we'll see you on Twitter or Facebook or back here for a future episode absolutely alright I think it's time to say goodbye say goodbye James bye say goodbye Danny Bye. bye everyone